What is a woman? To be honest, I was pretty intimidated about preaching this sermon to you all this morning because in case you have not noticed yet, I am not a woman. I'm a guy, which means that I am thoroughly unqualified to stand up here this morning and tell you my opinion of what it means to be a woman. And I've talked to quite a few women about this sermon, and I've got their advice and their input on it, but ultimately, I'm not even interested in discussing their opinions about what it means to be a woman this morning, because we need something deeper than that. We need biblical truth. Each of us grew up in different environments, which shaped our opinions and our viewpoints as we saw womanhood modeled, whether rightly or wrongly. We each grew up uh, being shaped to have a bias. We are walking in here this morning with established presuppositions about what it means to be a feminine woman. But ultimately, we can't trust those opinions. Many of you in the room today have been alive long enough to see society's viewpoint of women shift dramatically. And some of those changes have been great. And some of those changes have been harmful. But cultural ideas of womanhood, as you know through your life experience, are ever-changing. It's like hitting a moving target. So we ultimately can't trust culture to tell us what it means to be a woman. We need objective truth, stable truth, from the one who made us about who he made us to be. We need biblical truth. And we need biblical grace. It's no secret that this is a sensitive issue right now in our culture, and some of you in this room today have been harmed by false ideas of what it means to be a woman. Every person in here has a story. Every person in here has a scar of some kind. Maybe you struggle with same-sex attraction. Maybe you look in the mirror and you hate the body that you see. Maybe you've been wounded by a secret addiction or an eating disorder. Maybe you've been injured by verbal or sexual or emotional or physical abuse. Maybe your heart still carries the scars from an absent father or a disinterested husband or a family that never really cared to know the real you. Maybe today you're single and you wonder why you're not married. And maybe you're frustrated because you're struggling to get by in the workplace as a woman in a man's world. I'm here to tell you that no matter the wound on your heart this morning, we believe that you can find peace in Jesus Christ. So as we discover the truth in this series, and we're going to tackle some hard-hitting subjects, we're going to do it with grace, arms open wide, just like Jesus, because we want all of you to know that no matter your hurts, your habits, or your hang-ups, you are welcome here. And we want this to be a church where everybody is welcome, where nobody has to pretend to be perfect, and where the absolute truth is proclaimed with the utmost love. So now that we've got that foundation in place a little bit, let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Father, today I am so grateful for the women that you have placed in my life, and I know that I would not be here right now if it weren't for those women and how you uniquely used them and empowered them to reflect who you are and to lead me to you. So, Father, I pray for the men in the room that you would empower us to see women the way that you see them and to pray for and encourage biblical womanhood and the women that you have placed in our lives. And I pray for the women in this room that you would spur them on more and more to look like your son and to become who they were always meant to be, women who reflect the open and invitational beauty of your love. Reveal your truth to us today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So what is a woman? Well, that question has almost as many layers as a woman herself. Uh, Culture says that a woman needs to be career-oriented and comfortable in high heels, but also good in the kitchen, not afraid to get her hands dirty, wear blue jeans, Uh, as strong as a man, but a little more civilized and cultured. Uh, If you listen to culture, culture would tell you that a real woman needs to be a healthy mix between a dainty fairy tale princess and a hard-working Rosie the Riveter. Uh, She needs to have brains like Eleanor Roosevelt, an iron will like Margaret Thatcher, the nobility of Queen Elizabeth with the boldness of Joan of Arc. She needs the sweetness of Shirley Temple with the sex appeal of Marilyn Monroe, the ambition of Hillary Clinton with the savvy of Sacagawea. She needs a voice like Whitney Houston, the conviction of Rosa Parks, the multitasking ability of Wonder Woman, the hourglass figure of Barbie, the muscle of Venus and Serena Williams, and the gentleness of Mother Teresa. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like an impossible standard to live up to. So what is a woman? What does it mean to be truly feminine as God designed it? Here it is. Biblical womanhood reveals the invitational beauty of God. Biblical womanhood reveals the invitational beauty of God. I thought about referring to it as biblical femininity this morning, but I can barely pronounce that word, so we're going to call it biblical womanhood. Let's dice up this phrase a little bit here. Biblical womanhood reveals God. Let's start there. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God makes the man, and then he says, Ah, I think I can do better. And so he makes the woman. (laughs) God made men and women equal in value. They're both made in the image of God, both designed with their ultimate purpose to reflect God's glory. You know, the idea that men and women are created equal is not a feminist idea. That's a Christian idea. Jesus loved protecting women and healing women and befriending women and instructing women and using women. Jesus attacked the lust that objectifies women. He condemned the divorce that disposes women. Jesus came through a woman. He met with a woman in public at a well. Jesus raised the widowed woman's son. Jesus showed mercy and saved the life of a woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus healed the bleeding woman and the bent over woman. Jesus let women participate in his life and his ministry and he even chose women to be the first witnesses of his resurrection. Women are made in God's image, and God loves to reflect his love and glorify himself through women. But how? Look back at our phrase here. Biblical womanhood reveals the invitational beauty of God. God's open, welcoming, Hospitable, invitational love is uniquely displayed in biblical womanhood. That verse that we read a minute ago, Genesis 1.27, the Hebrew word for female there is the word nekabah. It's the Hebrew word nekabah, which means punctured or bored through or open. Women are, by design, called to be open. That means that a woman who is living out who God has made her to be 
Others are going to be strangely drawn to her open, invitational beauty. If you remember one thing I say this morning, I want you to remember this. A woman of God is a woman with an open heart. A woman of God is a woman with an open heart. But what does that mean? Let's dig a little deeper. First, I think it means that a biblical woman is a perfect counterpart. A perfect counterpart. You may remember that in the beginning, before Eve was even made, God made Adam, and God had Adam name all of the animals. And as Adam goes down the line, two by two, there's the squirrels and the gazelles and the centipedes and the crocodiles, and he's naming them, and he notices that each animal has a mate. They're a matching pair of sorts. Each one has a partner. Each one, that is, except for him. And God saw all that he had made, and he said, it is good. But then he looked at Adam, and he said, it is not good. For the man to be alone. God looked at Adam and he said, that bachelor needs some help. By this point, Adam probably smelled horrible. He was on the verge of starving to death. He couldn't remember where he put his club, all this kind of stuff. This boy needed some help. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God gives Adam a helper, a woman, a wife, Eve. She is a helper suitable for him, God says. That literally means like opposite to him. It's like two puzzle pieces fitting together perfectly. What he lacks, she accomplishes. Just look at our bodies. It is fairly obvious the way God designed us that men and women are not identical. We are built to complement each other and to fulfill what the other lacks. Now, what does it mean for the woman to be the man's helper. Because that word helper kind of sounds like a derogatory term sometimes. It's like when you invite a little kid, come help you bake the cookies, right? And they get to stir the bowl and then they get the flour all over the kitchen and you let them lick the spoon and then you're like, oh, thank you so much for being my little helper. But that's not what this word means. This term helper refers to a help provided by someone strong. Someone who is equal in value. It's like military reinforcements. In fact, elsewhere when this term helper was used in the Old Testament, it most often referred to God himself as our helper. And nobody would call God wimpy or inferior in any way. So if a godly woman is a woman with an open heart, and if women are made to be helpers, how does that play out? What does that make a woman in everyday life? I think first that a biblical woman is a beautiful lover. She's a beautiful lover. Look at Adam's response when he first sets eyes on his wife. Genesis chapter two, verses 22 through 23. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of man. Adam takes one look at this gal, and it does not take him long to figure out, oh, she's not like the other critters. (laughs) She's like me. And Adam's excited because he sees that she is built to receive what he is made to give. He's clearly excited here, and rightly so, because women are designed to be beautiful, beautiful, physical lovers. Beautiful lovers of men. To be open does mean to be open to your husband sexually. So if you're married, then one way that you live out biblical womanhood is by being a beautiful sexual lover of the man that God has given you. But it's also more than that. 
Because women are also designed to be beautiful spiritual lovers of God and to be open to him. Now, women are designed to be physically beautiful, and it is not wrong to want to be physically beautiful. But it becomes wrong when a woman is more concerned with outward beauty than inner beauty. It becomes wrong when a woman is more concerned about her pant size than her patience level or her hairdo than her heart condition. And most of us in this room this morning could spend hours working on our physical appearance but find it difficult still to spend a few minutes in scripture and prayer every day. Following Jesus means for all of us pursuing beauty that lasts. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That Hebrew word there for charm literally means bodily form. Bodily form is deceptive. In case you guys haven't noticed yet, in the age-old battle between gravity and our bodies, gravity always wins eventually. Bodily beauty does not last. But look at what uh, Peter says about uh, the attractiveness of a woman with true godly beauty. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And right before these verses, actually, Peter is talking to these wives who are married to non-Christian men. And he says that if they work to cultivate that kind of inner beauty, the beauty of a woman who is a passionate lover of God, then their husbands are going to see them and be drawn to that invitational beauty. They're going to be intrigued, and eventually they will be won to the Lord because of the enticingly beautiful behavior of their wives. When people look at a sexual, scantily clad supermodel with all the trademarks of outward beauty. They lust. But when people look at a godly, open, feminine woman living out her relationship with Jesus Christ, they worship. When I look at a woman like Peggy Heilman, seeing how she pours her life out every single day in the ministry of the word and in caring for God's people and how she seeks me out and gives me a hug and tells me that she's praying for me, I worship. And when I see Ravenna Richardson making treats for people so that they can know what love tastes like, I worship. And when I see Diana McCowan making these beautiful cards and sending them to all kinds of people to encourage them, I worship. And when I see Lynn Dillon serving alongside her husband, Todd, and bringing such joy to his life as his helpmate and watching them thrive passionately together in those roles, I worship. And when I see women like Julie Spires working to be a mom in the midst of the crazy day-to-day life of kids bouncing off the wall, but yearning for her kids to love Jesus and using her home as a weapon for the gospel, I worship. And when I saw my grandma this week humbly serving behind the scenes, just washing dishes again at the kitchen sink so that everybody else could socialize and have a good time, and when I, see, when I saw her stay, stay late and show up early to help Rebecca and I move into not just one, but two houses this year, and when I see my grandma using her retirement years not to, not to pursue her own pleasures, but to disciple her granddaughters to become young women of Scripture, I worship. I worship when I see biblical women who are beautiful lovers of God. A biblical woman is a beautiful lover. Secondly, she's an industrious worker. An industrious worker. 
One of the best and most famous portrayals of a wise and godly woman in scripture is in Proverbs 31. Now my wife, Rebecca, she was the first girl that I ever dated. And before our first date, I knelt down in my college dorm room and I had Proverbs 31 open right before me and I prayed before our first date that God would give me the discernment to know if this was a Proverbs 31 woman. And looking back, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, but God was merciful and he had pity on me. Because my wife is this kind of a woman. And I went and I picked her up for our first date. We went fishing in the creek and we didn't catch a thing. But I got the best catch of my life that day. (laughs) Proverbs 31 says, A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Verses 15 through 17 say, She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Verse 20 says, She opens, notice how open she is. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Verse 22, She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Verses 25 through 20. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of the household and does not eat the bread of idleness. There's a lot more in this chapter. Go read it. This is just a sample. But notice that this is a remarkable woman. This is no wallflower. A Proverbs 31 woman is business savvy with her financial assets. She's a good boss. She invests money wisely. She allocates resources effectively. She's an affectionate wife and mother and friend. And she opens her house and her wealth up to the less fortunate. She dresses well. She uses her skills to make her home the best home that it can be. This woman is an industrious worker. She speaks wisdom. She uses her life to make things beautiful. She can laugh at the uncertainty of the future because she trusts in God. That's a woman. And I'm here to tell you today that through the power of the Spirit of God, you can become that kind of woman. Even if you're not married, you don't have to have kids to be a godly, fulfilled woman living a purposeful life of beauty and action for Jesus Christ. When I think of a Proverbs 31 woman, I think of my mom. My mom is radically generous with her money and her time and her home. Growing up, our doors were never locked on the house. There were always people in and out of the home. But my mom doesn't fit the cookie-cutter mold of what most people think it means to be a woman. Uh, My mom grew up on a farm. She's comfortable driving a tractor and a semi-truck. When my parents remodeled their house a few years ago, it was my mom who actually designed the addition and served as the general contractor for the remodel. Uh, My mom homeschooled each of her six kids. She's taught children's church and directed the kids' choir at church for over two decades. She taught her children how to grow pumpkins so they could raise money for college. She's a skilled artist and a gifted musician. She's a shrewd financial manager. Recently, my mom decided that she wanted a pool in the backyard, but she didn't want to pay for one. So she got in the backhoe, she dug a massive hole in the yard, and she designed and built an in-ground pool for herself out of scratch using an old grain bin. This is my mom. Needless to say, she does not fit the mold. But God's not trying to force you into some kind of mold that culture wants to force you into. The only mold that God wants to force you in is this. Are you using your work to glorify him? Are you spending your days in the things that you're doing and are you consecrating those actions to him as an act of worship? That's what God wants from you. So will you use your career and your connections and your resources as a ministry? 
And being an industrious worker doesn't necessarily have to mean you have to work outside the home. By all means, if you stay at home, that is great. I'm, I'm sure sometimes when you're in the thick of the, the stay-at-home mom life, it can be hard to find your purpose amidst the loads of laundry and the groceries and the dishes and the dirty diapers. But God wants you to offer even that to him as an act of worship. And he's gonna use your faithful hard work for your family day in and day out to make your home a beacon of gospel light that's gonna shine into your neighborhood. A godly, feminine woman is somebody who uses the gifts that God has given her to bless those around her. And she's an industrious worker. So a biblical woman is a beautiful lover. She's an industrious worker. And thirdly, she is a noble nurturer. A noble nurturer. Do you remember our phrase from earlier? Biblical womanhood reveals the invitational beauty of God. In other words, if you remember what we talked about last week, men are designed to reveal how God pursues us and how he initiates and how he comes to us. Men are designed to reveal the incarnation of God, coming down and wrapping himself in flesh in Jesus Christ. But women are more designed to reveal the invitation of God, how God invites us to come and to be in relationship with him. And women do that through relational nurturing. Women are hardwired to nurture, even in the way a woman's body is designed to bring life to another human and to sustain that life. It's been amazing watching how God has hardwired my wife uh, to care for my son and to nurture him. It's been such a worshipful experience for me. And yet it's not just that. Because even if you don't have kids of your own biologically, you are still hardwired to be a nurturer. You may remember from Genesis chapter 2 that Adam was alone. And God said that was not good. And so the woman was made for the express purpose of bringing human relationship into the world. From the very beginning, women were designed to connect with others. Women are made to be a prism that absorbs God's light and then reflects it in all of its dazzling glory to those that they come in contact with. A godly woman with an open heart, she soaks in the black and white words of scripture and then she lives them out in vibrant color for the people in her circle. So let me ask you today, who are you nurturing? Is there a kid in your life, maybe in the neighborhood, maybe in the family, maybe the kid of a friend that you could nurture, that you could love on and be an adopted grandparent for? Uh, Do you know your neighbors? Are you intentional with your conversations with them? Is there a hurting person in your workplace who needs a friend and a listening ear? Are you the kind of friend who will do more than just socialize, but will do deep soul care with the people God has entrusted you with? Women are hardwired to nurture others relationally and to lead them to God through deep, intimate relationships. Are you doing that? Last week, we talked about how the core fear of a man is weightlessness, that a man wants to have an impact, and he's scared of not having an impact. He's scared of not being worthy of respect. But what is the core fear of a woman? The core fear of a woman is invisibility. Invisibility. Women are designed, like we've said, to be open and invitational. So the core fear of a woman is to open herself and be rejected, to be unseen, to be offering something 
that nobody wants. I think that is the fear and the hurt behind the feminist movement. And their cry is justifiable because chauvinist men have treated women unfairly, sometimes as if they are invisible, not worthy of equal respect, not granting equal pay for equal work by not taking a woman and her opinion and her thoughts seriously or by treating a woman just by way of her outward body instead of her actual inward personality. And that's tragic. And for those of you in the room today who've undergone such mistreatment, I'm sorry, truly. Nobody wants to be invisible. It's a scary thing. So how does this fear of invisibility influence a woman if it's left unchecked? I think the first influence we see of this fear of invisibility is covering. Covering. Look what happens after Adam and Eve eat the fruit in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, when sin entered the world, people started hiding. They put on fig leaves. Maybe today you're hiding. Maybe you're not letting people see the real you. Maybe you're keeping the walls up. Instead of being open like God has designed you, maybe you're scared. Maybe you hide your fear behind the, the mask of outward beauty or career achievement or family success or a big personality. Maybe inside you don't want to be hurt again, so you won't risk being vulnerable anymore. You've built walls around your house, and you're not going to let anybody in anymore you're going to avoid the people that hurt you, or maybe you're just not going to get relationally deep with anybody. Maybe you think that you have to appear strong and tough and unhurtable. But that's not strength. That's building walls. And a godly woman does not live with a closed soul. Real strength is being weak enough and being willing enough to let people in and see your weakness, to be vulnerable and to be open, even at the risk of being hurt. Don't cover yourself. And I think the second result of this fear of invisibility, the first was covering, and the second one is control. Control. You see, after Adam and Eve sin, God shows them what the painful result of their sin is going to be. And look at what it is for Eve, Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And catch this, he says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. In other words, you're going to want to control him. The woman's going to try to protect herself from being hurt by controlling her husband, by controlling the situation that she's in to get her what she thinks she wants. You see, all of us, we were designed to live with an open hand. We were designed to be trusting God to provide, to be openly receiving him, to be living in response to him. Women were designed to be open to others, inviting and receiving them warmly. But do you remember what Eve did in the garden? She closed her hand. She seized the fruit. And then she had Adam eat some of the fruit. And then she blamed the snake. And the result of sin is that she is going to be continually tempted to close her hand, to try to protect herself by controlling the situation and when you close your hand, when you close your heart and control the situation, instead of drawing out the best in others and welcoming them, it's just going to push people away. 
So how can you become a godly woman? Maybe you're scared of being hurt again if you opened yourself up. Maybe you feel the urge to cover yourself and hide or to control and manipulate the situation. So how can you become a godly woman with an open heart? Two things. These might be the two hardest things you ever do. First, let go. Stop trying to control the situation and open your hand. Trust God. And ultimately, whether man or woman, we are all called to find ourselves by first losing ourselves. We are called to surrender, to let go, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus uh, came, he opened himself, and he was rejected, just like you might be when you open yourself. He came and he tried to love the people around him, and yet, even when he tried to reveal himself to them, he was despised and rejected by the people that he came to love. And even then, Jesus did not close his hand. He did not try to control the situation. He did not close himself off. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Even when Jesus was rejected, he did not close his hand. Rather, he opened his hand even to the ones who drove a nail right through it. And you can do that too. Instead of closing yourself off, instead of disengaging, open your hand and entrust yourself to God even when it hurts. And it's gonna be hard to open yourself up when your husband keeps sinning against you or you go round and round again with that rebellious child or you have that friend who betrayed your trust or that coworker who talked behind your back. It's not going to feel natural to let go. You're gonna wanna hold on. You're gonna wanna control because letting go and forgiving and choosing not to disengage is hard and it's unnatural but you just gotta trust him because God's best for you is the best for you and when you let go, you will be finally fully free. So let go and open up anyway. That's the second thing, open up anyway. Ladies, the cultural spotlight is on you right now. The world's eyes are focused squarely on you and what you're gonna do and the devil has his sights trained on you too. We are living in a world with distorted perceptions of what it means to be a woman. We are living in a world that needs to be captivated by the invitational beauty of a woman who is fully surrendered to and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So will you choose to build a wall around your heart? Or will you live with an open heart and an open hand, welcoming others in the same way that God has welcomed you? Because a godly woman is a woman with an open heart. And some of you have sought to heal the hurt in your heart by opening yourself up to other things, thinking that if you had the picture-perfect home or family or career, or if that man noticed you and paid attention to you, then you'd finally be validated. But none of those things can fulfill you completely. No man, no family, no career, no matter how good, can fill the void in your heart. Only opening yourself ultimately and being filled by Jesus will put your soul at rest. I'm blessed to be married to an incredibly godly woman. Rebecca is beautifully feminine, and she made this sermon really easy for me to write because when I want to know what a godly woman looks like, I just look at her. She lives this out. She's soft and gentle and kind and loving as the day is long. But on the inside, she is fiercely committed to Jesus. She is stubbornly loyal, and she is doggedly devoted to the word of God. 
She is a woman with outer softness that is spurred on and motivated and based on inner strength. I caught a glimpse of that inner strength when I watched her give birth. Holy cow, ladies, you are amazing. I whine when I get a hangnail. Thank you for what you do. (laughs) And I have never seen the gospel displayed in anything as vividly as I have in her. When I've heard her time and time again, she opens herself and she loves me with lavish grace anyway. When she's betrayed by the people that she loves, she prays for them and she loves them anyway. And she devotes every day of her life to saturating our son with the love of Jesus and soaking our house in the word of God and using our home to bring people into his kingdom, welcoming them as God has welcomed her. That's a woman. And God wants you to be like that. He wants to use you like that to show others who he is. So will you surrender to him? A woman of God is a woman with an open heart. We mentioned earlier that the woman was made as a helper for the man to do what he could not do. But do you know who else is called the helper? The Holy Spirit. Uh, Look at John, or look what Jesus says in John 14. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. A woman of God is a woman with an open heart, and you are called to be open. You are called to love and to work and to nurture and to reflect the glory of God, but we're all gonna fall short of that. And you are powerless to become the person that God is calling you to be on your own. You need the helper. So today, we're just gonna end really simply with two prayers. Todd's gonna lead a prayer that I want all the men, myself included, to to say out loud. And we're gonna repeat this prayer and pray for the women in our church. And then we're gonna have another prayer and I want all the women to pray to become the women that God is gonna call them to be. And then we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing the communion song. So let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Father, raise up in this church a generation of women whose hearts are totally yours. Through your power, raise up in this church women who will relate, create, love, and nurture like you do. Raise up women who will follow you and live with open hearts like yours. Help us to do what we can do to encourage and empower those women. Father, We need your help to become the women you are calling us to be. We are not perfect women, but we want to be godly women. We want to be women with hearts like yours. Father, empower us to be bold enough to speak up, humble enough to be kind, free enough to surrender control, secure enough to open up, generous enough to give freely, merciful enough to forgive quickly, loving enough to be welcoming. Father, when people see us, we want them to see you. Help us reflect your love openly and beautifully to everyone around us. Amen.